All right, welcome to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. Um, Dan and myself are celebrating still from a Monday night thrashing of the Tennessee Titans, and we're excited to get talking about that, as well as some of the other happenings around the league. Um, first, Dan, pulse check, how are you doing? Monday night was a lot of fun. It is now Wednesday. Um, are you still riding that wave? I am still riding that wave, but like any good Bills fan who has grown up in the four Super Bowls era, I also have a little bit of anxiety heading into this week as well, right? Because we have uh, what is coming up in week three, something that we're going to discuss after we get done with the Monday night game, uh, what looks to be a much more formidable Miami Dolphins team than we have, uh, we have had the chance to play in the past few years. So I'm enjoying the moment. But like any good Bills fan, I'm also waiting for the other shoe to drop and have that joy stripped away from me. And I'm just hoping it's not this weekend against Miami. You and me both, sir. Um, I think you're right. You know, we're, we're previewing a little bit. But yeah, it's um, uh, to kind of focus in on the Titans game. Other than the injuries and the like seemingly um, rough, you know, execution on short yardage situations in the first half. Uh, the Bills did something they haven't been able to do for two years, which is handily put down the Tennessee Titans in such an obnoxious fashion that it leaves no question whatsoever who the deeper and better team is. And that wraps up two weeks of first beating the Super Bowl champion and then beating the top seed in the AFC at the time the playoffs kicked off last year. Um, those are pretty resounding things. I know every team is different year to year, and especially a Rams without Von Miller, now on the Bills, and a Titans without um, Roger Saffold or David Questenbury, now also on the Bills. Um, you know, I think that it, it's statement games like that that set you, set you up for national pundits across the league are saying the Bills are kind of in a league of their their own at this point in the year. It's only two weeks and I think this is going to be the biggest test they have. But 41-7, to uh, Derrick Henry had 13 carries for 25 yards in the touchdown with a long of 9 yards. It was obscene. I think Derrick Henry is pretty washed. I texted that to you during the game. He looks, and I, the Bills did a great job of defense, but he looks like he does not have any break tackle ability that he's had in the past few years. It might still be lingering issues of the injury he had last year. Um, and it might just be the fact that he's got like 25,000 carries on his body at this point in time. Um, and no matter what a specimen he is, and he truly is a unit, uh, it, it seems like the kind of thing that, that catches up to you. And I, I worry for Derrick Henry. He's a great, when Derrick Henry's good in the league, the league is better. Um, but the Bills shut him down handedly. JJ, Derrick Henry has terrorized this team for the past couple of seasons, and as a result, the Buffalo Bills fan base. What I found to be very satisfying was the way that the Bills, even without Settle and even without Oliver in the lineup, were able to bottle up Henry. And I think you're... I, I, I don't 100% agree with you. I don't know that he's washed, but I will give you that he definitely does not have the pliability he used to have to bounce a run to the outside or cut to the outside um, when the interior offensive line can't man open up holes for him. He definitely doesn't have that ability anymore. And what we saw time after time again 
was Henry basically running into a brick wall. The push that our defensive line was getting at the point of attack, and then Milano and Edmonds coming in from the second level to fill gaps. I mean, it really bottled up and stifled Henry for a majority of that game. I didn't feel that way after the first drive where Henry scored that touchdown. Part of me was kind of like, oh man, here we go again. We're going to go through this torture yet again. But similar to the Rams game, I really felt like this was a tale of two halves in a lot of way. Where, like, I'm, I'm a boxing fan, so I love this metaphor. In the first round, the fighters are kind of circling each other, figuring out what's going to be what. That's how I have felt about the Buffalo Bills in the first half against the Rams and the Titans. What we saw in the second half and what you typically see in a fight is when guys start to really unleash in the later rounds, when they feel like they've got a good idea of what the strategy the opposing fighter is going to bring to the table. The Buffalo Bills in the second half of this game was an absolute defensive masterpiece in what they did with Derrick Henry. Um, and this is it, and, and more to that point, it feels replicable. It feels like for really strong run teams, and we've got a couple of them coming up on the schedule here um, prior to the bye, it really does feel like the Buffalo Bills have figured something out that they didn't have last year where you could run at will on this team. Well, I think the thing that you're seeing, that at least that I saw on Monday Night Football, was um, the fact that the Bills have they've really done a nice job with the pieces they have on defense. And, of course, upgrading the defensive line is a huge, huge component of this of having really well-established run fits and flowing to their fit uh, with incredible consistency and discipline. And that's where the Bills have have failed in years past, is whether it was the lack of talent on the defensive interior, other than Ed Oliver, or um, a lack of kind of understanding and discipline with the linebackers and the, the defensive backs. They were trying to overcompensate for the lack of run fits on the front. And now... Milano, Edmonds, who at times have overpursued, are trusting that the front four are going to be where they're supposed to be and using their, their effort to clean up, which is what they should have always been doing. But when they didn't trust players in the middle, you know, Star Latulale being banged up and not getting to his run fit or not being fast enough to get to his run fit, when they weren't able to trust the players in front of them, they got underconfident and overpursued. Now that they have a good sense of who they're playing you know, with and that they they know that those players are going to be where they're supposed to be, it all works seamlessly and so much better. And then you add to it that you have Von Miller, who is, you know, of course, an excellent pass rusher, but, un, you know, low-key has is one of the better edge setters in the, in the entire league at terms of run stuffing. And then Greg Rousseau, who's like a condor setting another edge of the line, um, you know, they have what they need to shut down an offense that tries to run, run it down their throats. I don't think we'll see a game this season the likes of a previous year's Titans game or that Saints game when the, they got run over or Jonathan Taylor and the Colts dicing them up the same way they have in the past. I really feel like they did what they needed to do to fix that part of the defense. And that's one thing I'm really excited about. It ditto, and something that you and I both observed was the the elevated play of Milano and Edmonds in this game compared to especially what we saw last year. And I think you're right. The 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 finalization, the coming to fruition of the defensive line build out is really letting these guys do what they can do best. Um, you know, on the broadcast, uh, I forget who the broadcast team was for this one because we got the set, we got we got I think Levy, Dan Orlovsky, and. Um, Oh, uh, Lewis Reddick, I think, right? Yeah. And yep. uh, Reddick had made the comment, or maybe it was Orlovsky, 
that Milano was pound for pound the best coverage linebacker in the league. Uh, and that's something that you and I have known for a very long time. Yes. But there has not been a defensive line, a four-man pass rush, that's been able to accentuate a lot of those skills in Buffalo for the past couple of seasons. I think what we're seeing now with the completion of the defensive line construction plan after all these years under Brandon Bean, what we're seeing now is it's unlocking so much so much of what the other Buffalo Bills and what their, what their pieces are intended to do on that chessboard of that 11-man defense. Um, we've talked about Ed Oliver now really being able to play a three-tech, and you and I both think that if he can heal up from his injury in week one, he's going to have a big season. I think Milano and Edmonds are also set up to have really amazing seasons because they are going to be, I mean, they're basically going to be used to do what they do best, their specialties, which is coverage, run downhill when Leslie Frazier needs them to run downhill, where before, you're right, they were overcompensating for what was a, a defensive line that was able to get pressure but not able to get home. So much of what we're going to talk about, I feel like, all season is going to begin and end with this improved defensive line. We're going to talk about sack numbers, QB pressures, QB hits. But I think what you don't see in the stat line oftentimes is the residual impact that that can have on the rest of the defense. The fact that they're not just unlocking Milano and Edmonds to their full potential. The fact that they can kind of carry and cover up for basically starting two rookie DBs in um, Benford and Elam, who also had a really good game, I think, yeah. by both of our estimation. What did you think about those two guys? Well, I, I was surprised that we never saw... I mean, okay, this has to be... There's a caveat here. This has to be taken with a grain of salt. They were playing against the the best wide receiver on the Titans is a late-career Robert Woods, who's never been a you know WR1 in any system. We know and love Robert Woods was Robert Woods was one of my favorite drought era Bills players for the the brief time he was with the Bills because he was a tenacious run blocker and he caught basically everything that any quarterback could functionally get to him, which was few and far between. But good hands, awesome you know competitor. I always loved him. He's he's the best they've got for the Titans in terms of receiving talents. Traylon Burks is a rookie. He has some flashes. Has certainly the the physical abilities. Um, so that that all aside, I didn't see Benford or Elam once where I was like, oh my gosh, they got cooked or they were way out of position or we're really lucky that was an overthrow. Nothing like that. They had super tight, sticky coverage. They were deflecting passes. They were coming up to support the run every time they were called on to do so. And it was really impressive you know, how they showed out just in the fact that I never noticed them. Um, and usually, I mean, even you know, in previous years with Levi Wallace, I noticed him. I'd see a play and be like, oh, gosh, like, sure, the, the there was no run after catch, but that was an easy first down reception because the wide receiver got separation from Levi Wallace, um, and, you know, their drive continues. Nothing like that. If Either they were not being thrown at because Tannehill's bad or they were not being thrown at because there was nowhere to throw the ball, which is what I, I presume was the case, um, even though also Tannehill was pretty bad. Right. I think it'll be a different test for these two young kids this weekend, obviously, with Jalen Waddell and Tariq Hill. But I think for the most part, they have held up well through the first couple of weeks. And again, I mean, listen, Burks, granted, is a rookie, but he's a tough matchup from a size and speed perspective. Um, I really like the way that Elam and Benford handled him throughout the course of the game. He was getting his looks and he was getting his reps early on in the first half. But again, tale of two halves in the second half, the Bills locked 
everything down. Everything down. It wasn't as prolific a sack game, JJ, as week one was yeah. with seven sacks, but we still got a couple. We still got a couple in there. Still got two. And, and, yeah. Yep, still got two. And our boy Groot, Greg Rousseau, taking another step in week two from his standout game in week one. What are some of the things you saw about Rousseau that really stood out? Um. Well, I, I saw... One of the, and we talked about this kind of preseason, you know, offline and on the pod. Um, Greg Rousseau lining up at a defensive tackle position next to Von Miller. Terrifying. Over, Terrifying. over top of their, um, I, I want to, I forget the name of the, the left guard um, uh, for the Titans, but he's like a size mismatch that you've almost never seen in the league. He was, he's 6'1, like 270. Now, Greg Rousseau was like 6'8, and, the guard couldn't even get his hands on Greg Rousseau because he just bull rushed at the full extension of his six foot ten wingspan, and that was it. I mean, he wrapped up Tannehill and, and brought him to the turf, and that is just a terrifying look. Is Greg Rousseau and Von Miller rushing from the same side? They both prefer to rush from the defensive left, which is the offensive right side of the line, and we'll talk about this with the Miami game, but that's Tua's blindside as a lefty. So that could be terrible and amazing for the Bills fans out there. Um, but yeah, I saw Greg Rousseau. He's, he has a clear uh, understanding of his role. He knows how to do his 111th. He is all through his rookie year last year and this year with just the two games that we've seen him in. He has no problem when he's the primary edge setter for that defensive line of locking down that edge and turning everything inside and being in good position to make the play if somebody tries to stretch a run. And that is so awesome. That's such a dependable thing to have. And something that, you know, um, previous ends that have played for the Bills that, you know, will not be named, uh, that I part- particularly liked and you basically hated, um, <laughs> they were even run. not good at that. You've got the wrong idea about me and Jerry Hughes, just because I thought... Oh, you named him. (laughs) I did. I said it. I'm still here. Uh, I haven't spontaneously combusted. you got the wrong idea about me and Jerry, man. I just thought the Bills should have cut him a really long time ago, right? Well, (laughs) I will admit that he was never a great edge setter. I mean, he was solid, not spectacular. Greg Rousseau is spectacular, and he's starting to develop some of those skills um, in terms of pass rush wins. And so I think that all we need is Von Miller to continue feeding him, you know, what was it, dynamite and gasoline or um, whatever he said. <laughs> Something um, like that. Gunpowder and gasoline. Gunpowder and yeah, gasoline, yeah. 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 So just keep keep that up, Von Miller, because Greg Rousseau has looked a lot better this year, and I hope he just continues to grow because he's, he's an amazing, you know, physical specimen and, and athlete. And, you know, if he can have the repertoire of moves necessary, I don't know that anybody can stop him. Agreed. I think um, it was at Austin yeah. St. Pierre, the left that's, guard he pushed off the block. Was that the yeah, kid from Ohio so. State? Yeah. Oh no, no, that's um that's Petit Friere was their oh, right tackle. Yeah. He was he was lined up on the left side oh, or on the defensive right over their left guard. Um and I mean to also I was kind of surprised this is, you know, minor kudos to the Titans. I was surprised that Taylor Lewan, who's cl- like by far their best offensive lineman, went down like in the first or second series and they were not they did not give up the you know, seven sacks on the incredibly sackable uh, Ryan Tannehill. So um it yeah, I mean it's not <laughs> this is not a lot of kudos to give around. The Titans after about Halfway through the second quarter, were so incredibly outmatched that there was no question who was going to win that game, and it seemed so easy. 
Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the the offense that we that we recognize? Oh, um, I'd love to talk a lot about the yeah. offense because yes. that that was another masterpiece game from Josh yes. Allen, Ken Dorsey, and one Stefan Diggs. This time last year, we were wondering: Is Diggs still on the roster? Does Dayball know that he can have Josh Allen throw to Diggs? No one is wondering that anymore. With Gabe Davis out, um, there was a lot of I think I had concerns or at least some questions about what ball distribution was going to look like, who was going to get the lion's share of the targets. Um, was it going to be even distribution where we're going to see Khalil Shakir uh, step up maybe into that outside role a little bit? And I got to tell you, based on the the snap count for this game, Diggs playing far more snaps and running far more routes than he had run in, in a really impressive week one game. Diggs ended this game with 81% of Josh Allen's targets, JJ. That's um, pretty good. They weren't trying to hide what they were going to do. Um, and Diggs, for my money, best route runner in the league. And I just, I don't know how you put this guy in, man, especially with those young DBs that Tennessee was rolling out there. Um, I, I mean, McCreary just couldn't do anything against Diggs, and Diggs let him hear about it. Diggs' final stat line, 12 catches on 14 targets, 148 yards and three TDs. And when you look at his route chart, JJ, he ran a total of 23 routes this game, um, which is an incredible amount when you consider what the wide receiver rotation and snap count has looked like historically under Dayball and McDermott in the Buffalo Bills. Um, I, I mean, last season, Diggs peaked at 17 routes ran. 23 is a lot. But when you're running 23 routes, and we're going to talk a little bit about this when we preview Miami as well, you're, it's not always about targets and yardage. It's about establishing your position with the opposing DB, getting into their head, and wearing them down. And honestly, those DBs for Tennessee looked absolutely gassed in that third quarter. Well, they looked gassed, and they also looked outmatched by the technician that Stefan Diggs is. Um, I haven't seen the all 22 pop up yet, uh, on game pass, but I, I want to watch his, those 23 routes because what I presume is that he spent the first half setting them up for some of the routes that he ran that were like killer touchdowns later in the game. I think you're right. Um, because they are rookies, because they are fresh to the game, they might not have, you know, stayed loose and fluid and they're tired and they're getting worn down. And of course the game's dragging on because their their team's getting destroyed and their offense can't do anything, so they're exhausted. Um, and that really all adds up to somebody who, you know, even if they're an incredible talent, is gonna get kind of lazy with their footwork and their route or and their defensive backpedal and you know, rely on some things or make some guesses that they of what they think the the route he is running is, and then boom. He, you know, branches it off in a different direction, hits his stem, and does the, like, you know, stop and go for that 48-yard touchdown. A lot of those things are the kind of things that he was setting up with some of those other routes throughout the game, whether he was getting targeted or not. And that's something that that will carry probably every game this year. And I, I'm excited. I hope that, you know, everything goes well for he and Josh Allen in terms of, like, staying healthy all season and maintaining this connection because unless the team doubles or brackets Stefan Dig Diggs, there's not, you know, we've seen the best corners in the league still get roasted by him if they're one-on-one. And so I just don't see a scenario where he doesn't, you know, get up there in terms of setting, um, you know, single season records for himself, setting potentially single season records for the Bills, 
um, or resetting them rather. And so I'm really excited for that connection. And the ball placement Josh Allen is able to achieve in these past two games is so obnoxiously perfect and precise. He's not always hitting the, the ideal run after catch balls, but he's putting it in places that it's it gets there faster and exactly on the on the receiver's hands in a place where only the receiver can catch it. And so he just I, I didn't think he could be more accurate than he has been the last two years, and he is. He's definitely more accurate, and I can speak, and it shows. I think other than duffing that one in the dirt kind of early in the game while he was still getting the feel for it, um, everything else is just it was ideal. I couldn't agree with you more. Diggs is just poetry in motion. But what Allen is doing, and we said this after week one, and to me it stands even more true, his pre-snap processing has improved so dramatically year over year from his rookie year until now. It is almost, we've said Manning-like, and there was a point in the game where where Allen said Omaha is one of his checks, and, yeah. I, and I got Peyton Manning like chills. You know what I mean? Because there's only one other mm-hmm. guy who I've seen make throws in those types of windows. Um, and I loved ESPN coverage because they've got the sky cam, and they're getting all these angles basically right behind Allen on replay, and you can see what he's seeing. And there were times literally on replay where I looked at the window that he was fitting some of those balls, and I was like, holy shit. Like it's like I literally puckered up because I just couldn't believe he was slinging it into windows that were that tight. Um, his uh, I, I've been you know me I'm a stats guy and we are now two weeks into the season and we have some a, stats yes we have some yeah. reliable stats coming in. One of my favorite websites to go to for anybody listening is rbsdm.com. Um, this is a wonderful website where they really break down analytically things like EPA, completion percentage, completion percentage above expected. The beginning of the season, Josh Allen's expected completion percentage, according to RBDSM, was 69.2%. He is achieving a 76.5% completion rate to lead the league right now. They also specialize in this stat that I love called EPA, which is expected points added for a play, for a drive, anything like that. He is, at Josh Allen per play, is giving the Buffalo Bills almost a half point advantage every time he drops back and throw the ball. The only other guy with that high of an EPA is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes' current EPA is 4.79, or 0.479. Josh Allen, 0.476. These guys are playing almost identical high ball or ball right now. Um, And the Buffalo Bills' offense is is absolutely reaping the benefits. Everything Allen is doing on the field is translating to wins. It's translating to the stat sheet. And I think think his best is yet to come based on what we're seeing so far. I agree, and and I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, my my wife and I joke about it. It all, you know, during the Thursday night game against the Rams, during the game against the Titans, is you see him out there just being this giant rocket armed, like dangerous ass ninja golden retriever of a man, running around laughing and smiling, and like like he's having an absolute blast. Like he gets piled on on the sideline after you know his he only had one you know real real run design run um during the game but like dude dude takes some massive hits and just like pops up and he's having the best time of his life 
And then he's like filing, you know, rifle shots to Stefan Diggs and their best friends. It's it's a great thing to see. And I agree. I mean, we talked about him evolving against the Rams. I think that's what this season is, is he's putting all the last pieces into place to to be like a quarterback that the league is on notice about. A quarterback who doesn't make those stupid rookie errors he makes, who knows to get out of a play. I'm pretty sure there was a screen um, during the Monday Night Football game that was, you know, it got blown up. It wasn't developing properly. And he just drifted back and threw the ball at the at the running back's feet, knowing that he would have to live for another play. Josh Allen in 19 or even 20 would have tried to, like, spin out of, like, a tackle, yes. run around the end, try to, like, throw something downfield. The wide receiver's not even ready for it because they thought it was a screenplay, so they're not in their route where they need to be. Boom, interception or sack or nasty yep. fumble, like, something like that. And he is, he's beyond that now. Last season, I mean, we literally said, does he know how to duff it? Like, does he know how to duff yeah. a pass? Because even when he tried, he would throw it and it would be interceptable at some points last season. Right. I actually think it, he had a duff picked off in a game last season. You and I ranted about it. Yeah. Right? The, well, he, he drilled making balls catchable because he was such a god-awful quarterback coming out in terms of accuracy coming out of out of college he was so terrible at accuracy that he drilled like twenty-five thousand reps with jordan palmer on how to make balls catchable and so like even his duffs or throwaways were like still in the field of play and, and some human being could catch them that was a problem so he had to go back to the lab and correct it and that's, that's right. fine we're all good now that's right everything from his pre-snap processing his patience uh in the pocket his mobility. And, you know, I think what you and I are going to hear a lot in the pregame from Dolphins fans is that, well, Dolphin had, Tua had that 60-yard bomb to to um, Tyreek Hill. And that means, like, his arm strength is fine. Like, he can he can sling it with Allen. I'm already seeing a lot of that <laughs> nonsense on Twitter. Yeah. It And, you know, Steven Ruiz at the ringer um, has an, had an excellent take. He's got his QB tiers, his QB rankings, and, and every week – he only stubbornly updates them based on week-to-week results. He doesn't overreact mm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he made this really, I think, poignant remark regarding Tua's arm strength and that Tua, if he's going to get it beyond the sticks, absolutely needs a clean pocket. Yes. He's got to be able to step into the throw. He needs space around him in order to do that. The difference between a guy like Tua and Mahomes and Allen is that they've got the raw preternatural arm strength to sling at 60 yards on the run. That's real raw arm strength. What Tua is displaying is more good throwing mechanics. There's touch, there's accuracy involved with that, but it's got to be a perfect environment for Tua to connect on a a pass like that. He can't do that thing that Josh Allen did, like I think it was like in 2019, where like he's getting his body crushed by Jaguars players and he just like sends it with a little flick of the wrist 70 yards to Robert Foster. Like he can't Tua can't do that. Tua needs his all of his mechanical right. chain from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. His mechanical chain needs to be clean for him to really launch it and he can in those situations because he's drilled that clearly. But yeah, Josh Allen in week one against the Rams, when he drift he drifted out of the pocket to his right and roasted Jalen Ramsey with an underthrown ball to Stefan Diggs, who then rolled in for the touchdown. That ball was looked underthrown, 
but it achieved the fastest velocity of any pass that's ever been thrown, according to Next Gen Stats. Yep. Josh Allen holds the record for the hardest thrown pass since they started tracking that, and it was on a ball that looked like it was short and underthrown, but it was because he had torqued his body while like sprinting almost full speed to his right and didn't have his feet on the ground and just whipped that thing out there. Like That is insane arm talent. Oh, it, it, absolutely incredible. And, I mean, you've covered so many Josh Allen highlights. I remember Super Bowl 20. Was it 20? It was February 21. Uh, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, where Mahomes yeah. was basically under assault from that Tampa Bay defense the oh, entire yeah, yeah. game. But he had that, that throw where he was literally in the air, lateral to the ground, about <laughs> two inches off, and, and yeah. just sidearmed it like 30 yards, right? Like yes. a dart yep. into the end zone. Yeah, you and know what? That's arm what, strength. That's what we're what talking about. What did these about. two have in common? They both played baseball at various points in their life. Yes. Too is they had they understand the mechanics and they have the arm strength. Um, and so yeah, I think that those are and that you'll see that too with um you know I don't particularly love him as a quarterback, but Kyler Murray also has that advantage. He does of you know, and it's an interesting thing because we talk so much about and this is like a huge tangent, but we talk so much about. How do, how do colleges best develop NFL quarterbacks? Um, we've seen multiple quarterbacks that are the top of top tier in the league right now who their skill comes from the fact that they throw in non-traditional football ways but ha- or have cross-trained in other sports like baseball so that they know all the mechanics necessary to make that happen. Um, and that's an interesting kind of wrinkle for the drafting process. But anyway, I digress. What, any other... Last minute thoughts about Monday Night Football offense, special teams, or anything? Uh, I, I wanna I wanna end it on a less than glowing note. Um, I know James Cook, and I was glad to see James Cook get some reps and garbage time in fourth quarter because he he's a development project, right? Building up his confidence yep. was a good thing. Uh, the Buffalo Bills can't run the ball. Uh, we need we no, need to acknowledge this. Problem. The Buffalo yeah. Bills can't run the ball, and through that first half, as Dorsey was testing the boundaries, testing the opposing fighter, we saw a lot of. Dayball-esque first mm-hmm. first down first and ten runs. So again, going back to EPA, every time Josh Allen drops back to throw the ball, there's a better than average chance he adds half a point to the play. When we run the ball in Buffalo, we take away uh, three tenths of a point. <laughs> oh God, that's, <laughs> that, that's sad. That's where we're yeah, at. We are the sad. per EPA. We are the worst running team in the league right now. Miami's not much better. Yep. But we are, in fact, the worst. So whenever we run the ball, we are actually yeah. potentially costing ourselves points on the board. I believe it. Um, I believe it, and I think there's something to be said in this regard too. That um, the Titans were keying a little bit on that, which is it seems silly. They probably should have been keying more on stopping Josh Allen from picking them apart. But they were keying on stopping our run because the Giants had such like massive success against them that they did seem to try to like crowd the box a little bit more for this game. And so I but they need a counterpunch. Dorsey and the offensive line, Aaron Aaron Cromer, they need to come up with a counterpunch when that happens so that they can still get the especially the three and one, four and one yards that they need. Um, because the other thing that teams are doing and will do for the rest of the season, I'm sure, is they will look for Josh Allen to do those rollout runs and squeak squeak off the edge. They're gonna look for quarterback power. And that's not great if they're keying on that and they're going to try to murder Josh Allen. We we don't love that. So they have to come up with a more efficient way to, whether that's blocking scheme or 
in my in my estimation, the best bet is just to leave Singletary in there. Let him get into a game rhythm. Yeah. And if they get stuffed, don't like don't shy away from it. Dorsey then called twenty one run or twenty one plays consecutively in halfway through the second, all the way through the third until the starters came out. All pass plays or RPOs that Josh checked to a pass. So um, they did not like their run looks, and when they decided to get away from it, was when they put up you know um, thirty one unanswered points. Yeah, I, I've got a different theory I think than you do, and I definitely felt didn't feel this way last year. Uh, my theory, just based on seeing the way Allen is processing and making decisions, you got to let him Mahomes a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. I think kind of forget the run game. And I know that's fucking crazy to say, right? <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, if you're that inefficient in the run and Allen is that efficient in the pass, any down, any play where you're taking the ball out of his hands right now at this stage with the run game where it's at, I mean, it, it, it is potentially costing you points. And what's amazing about the Bills, JJ, is that even despite the fact that they can't seem to run the ball on first and second down effectively if it's not Josh Allen, they are still top three in the league in first and second down conversion rates. That means that they are getting a first down either on their first down or their second down at a clip of about 58%, which is Whoa. 8% above the league average. So they can't run the ball on first down at all, right? But they are still converting at a league-high clip on first and second down, moving the change and moving the sticks, and avoiding third down. And, oh, by the way, they're also the best team per third down conversion rate in the league as well. So Josh Allen can kill you with his arm on first down, second down, third down. Third down. I think you let him do it until there is a defense that proves they can stop yeah. it. Well, and, and to your point, I think that, you know, fine, Josh Allen kills with your arm. Do you all of a sudden have like a, a three two five, you know, um, or three two six type type attempt where you're going to drop three two six would be too many play, you know, that's a problem. No, you're right. So three, yeah, three two six. Yeah, that's three, a lot. Three two six. Yeah. yeah, where you like literally give up the entire defensive line and drop linebackers into coverage and like make it nearly impossible for there to be any green space to throw to. Um, and if so, that's when you bring out the run, right? Like James Cook can run against the three-two box. Yes. Like that's not. Um, and so I think you're right. I think that that's the thing that maybe they need to lean even harder in. And I wonder how much freedom Dorsey's going to have to do that. It seems like he's having more freedom than Dable ever had, because I think that was some of the things that came out as maybe some frustrations is that Dable um, was being pressed to make everything balanced. And, you know, he, he probably saw the writing on the wall that they didn't, they had a mismatch line and different things. So they've continued to, to try to address the, the, you know, staffing up front. Um, but if they, if they really need to, maybe it's the, you know, force teams out of a loaded box and then, and then run. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I could talk about this Bill's offense yeah, all I day. I mean, I just, I, the numbers that they're putting up right now, they're like they're like dramamine to a guy like me like they just they just make me so like tranquil and happy and peaceful <laughs> as i think about the anxiety of Kair elam and christian benford trying to guard terry kill and jalen waddle this week yeah. <laughs> like this yeah. is the motion sickness that i need right now the motion sickness Very medication nice. so uh let's really quick touch in on special teams because we do have a punter his name we is do. sam martin and homeboy is a turnover machine, my friend. Yes. I, and truth be told, I knew Jack about Sam Martin before he got right. signed by the Bills. 
I've never seen a guy knuckleball a punt like he knuckleballs a punt. That thing is like uncatchable. It's unreal. It, not only is it uncatchable, but it's reliably punted away from the Buffalo Bills line of scrimmage, you know, 50 or 60 yards. And uh, he punted three times. I'm pretty sure two were lost fumbles. I think they just gave the second lost fumble, second muff, back to the Titans because they're like, eh, these poor saps. Um, and so, and of those three punts, two were down inside the 20. Like, it, it's it's amazing to have a punter who's who, one, he appears every once in a while, every three games or so, and two, is a, um, uh, you know, a reliable weapon to get turnovers. Uh, and then Tyler Bass... He apparently is also an excellent holder because Tyler Bass continues to be a perfect kicker. I think he's got like, what, 90 extra points or something in a row? Something like Um, that, yeah. He's on an incredible streak. And the Bills increased their, again, kind of to put a bow on the Monday Night Football, the Bills increased their consecutive streak of regular season wins by double digits to 20. 20 straight games they've won by more than 10 points. And if they that ties an NFL record of consecutive wins by more than you know ten points, um, with like the forty six Bears or something ridiculous, um, sixty four Bears maybe. Uh, and so what that means is that if the Bills can win by ten or more points against the the Miami Dolphins coming up, um, then they will be single seated alone atop the league. Uh, record books as the team with the longest regular season win streak by a a double-digit margin. And that's, you know, something to aspire to. But how do we get there? These Dolphins, they came back like what? They were like 38 to 10, 38 to 3 at one point? Uh, It was like, I mean, it was like 38. I think it was 31-14 heading into the fourth quarter or something like that. Yikes. And and Lamar Jackson had just eaten their lunch the entire game. Um, Listen... I, you and I have been critical of Tua and I've been a hater. Yeah, right. And, and, and I think I've been more, more generous than you have. Right. I think the script is about to flip. I actually think I'm going to be more critical of Tua and the Baltimore Ravens secondary. And I think you are, you are ready to heap some praise, but you know, as we talk about week three, we have to go back to week two and the Baltimore Ravens come back. An incredible fourth quarter. Tua finishes. Tua enters the fourth quarter with three TDs and two interceptions, and it, and it played an, an, uh, an erratic up and down game. That fourth quarter, man, I don't know. It, it was equal parts. I think that Baltimore Ravens secondary was injured. Right, they were completely yeah. gassed, um, and they were without some of their best players, and most notably Marlon Humphrey, who when he was off the field. Uh, ben Solak for The Ringer did a great article on this. When when Humphrey was off the field, to his efficiency, to his EPA, to his yards per play and average air yards air yards per play, doubled in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So, it, but credit to credit to McDaniel because we talked about Stefan Diggs running those twenty three routes and really setting folks up for later in the game. I looked at the route tree and the route chart for Jalen Waddell and for um, Tyreek Hill. Those are freaking Pollock paintings, man. I think those guys each ran maybe 30 routes in that game. And by the fourth quarter, the the secondary for Baltimore was completely gassed. So credit to Tua for being able to take advantage of it. He did some things really well in that game. 
I am not ready yet, though, based on the numbers that I'm seeing, to say Tua is a top three QB in the league. And I'm not ready to say yet that he's going to torch a, a more experienced Buffalo Bills secondary when yeah. I think about Poyer and Hyde back there. And the best coverage linebacking duo in the league in um, in Milano and Edmonds. But but let's start, dude, with, with kind of a preview of week three and some of what we think the keys to the games are here against the Dolphins. You want to kick it off or you want me to? Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off since uh, the first thing I want to talk to talk about is line play, and I know you have some interesting statistics, um, you know, in, in terms of Buffalo's defense versus uh, Miami's offense. And just one quick aside, um, you know, it's not surprising to me that Tua is lighting things up with his, you know, incredible passing accuracy um, because the Miami Dolphins' father, Joshua Patrick Allen, um, is rubbing <laughs> off on his children apparently, um, and so. Uh, but in order to shut that down, uh, we talk so much about how the improvements on the Buffalo defensive line are going to pay dividends in terms of not just stopping and setting the edges on the run, but putting pressure up the middle on opposing passers so that the rookies, you know, um, Benford and Elam don't have to cover for very long. And I think that's going to be the best opportunity the Bills have in this game is to get pressure on Tua. We know Tua is bad with pressure on him, um, and he is a very sackable quarterback as well. Uh, and so if the Bills can can add pressure, and specifically um, his worst kind of, uh, you know, the worst players he has on his line are the left guard, um, Liam Eikenberg. And worst is sort of unfair, but they're the least talented. Um, Liam, Liam Eikenberg from Notre Dame, second-year player, um, he struggles a little bit. He's still trying to find his way. They started him at left tackle last year, and then they brought Teron Ar- Armstead in, who's you know been a stalwart in the league and top-tier left tackle for so long, um, and moved Eichenberg to guard. He's still trying to find his way, and I think that there's opportunities there, specifically with Boogie Basham, Ed Oliver, if he plays, Tim Settle, if he plays, Jordan Phillips, if he plays. we got a lot of injuries um, uh, to get pressure in the middle. And then their right tackle, who's... Greg Little, their starter's down right now. And so Greg Little is also struggled. Um, he sort of reminds me a little bit of Bobby Hart for the Bills, Ooh. who's suspended because he punched a punched Titans a coach, coach yeah. apparently. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he's Greg Little can definitely be beat. And I think the greatest advantage they have is Greg Little is the right tackle. Two is a lefty quarterback. So his right tackle on the offensive line is his blind side. He have, he'll have his back to that side. And so Greg Rousseau and Von Miller both prefer to rush from that side, and that is the worst player on their offense on Miami's offensive line. If they can get quick pressure on him in under two and a half seconds, I don't see another 600-yard passing day. No way, no how. Yeah, uh, and it's all going to be about the pressure up front. Um, Tyre, you know, it's interesting. The Buffalo Bills on on a bit of a revenge tour these first three games here. Jalen Ramsey, most notable for his Josh Allen is trash comment. Uh, And uh, I think Josh Allen soundly, with the help of Stefan Diggs, proved him wrong. Derek Henry, who has tortured our team for the past two or three seasons, um, bottled up rather successfully by this Buffalo Bills defense. Uh, You don't have to go back that far in our team's history with Tyreek Hill to, to see and remember and feel how this guy has torched our team and ruined and ruined many a postseason dream for our for our our squad uh, in the past few years. 
I hope the Buffalo Bills are still trying to bring that revenge karma to the table here because pressure on Tua is going to be essential in limiting Hill and limiting Waddle and what their opportunities are going to be. So Tua, you know, that Sunday game was such a such a skewing point, right? Um, that fourth quarter aside that he had, Tua had been really resembled the quarterback that he had been in 21. And even with that monster fourth quarter, still a lot of the advanced metrics around Tua are more reflective of last season than they are of some breakout. Now you could argue we're two games in, small sample size, and that fourth quarter could be a stepping stone. I mean, the number of guys in the history of the NFL that have thrown for the amount of yards that Tua did in that game and six TDs, there are now seven of them or eight of them, Tua being the eighth. Six are in the Hall of Fame, or will be in the Hall of Fame, and the other is Matt Flynn. So, right. so odds are telling you that, that Tua is in really good rarefied air. Six TD games are fluky in a lot of regards, but Tua also did some things, I think, to earn that. And again, the scheming that McDaniel had with Waddle and Hill running, just running everywhere. So then the fourth quarter, they were eventually wide open was, was masterful, masterful. That being said, though, if you can get four man pressure on Tua and drop a bunch of guys back, his processing post snap is still a beat or two off. Um, and you see this with some of the advanced metrics on average yards per depth in 20. He finished with an average, or in 21, he finished with an average target depth of only about seven yards, throwing it, throwing it before the sticks. Uh, in comparison, Pat Mahomes, like 9.9 yards. Josh Allen, 8.3 yards. Like, these are guys who are trying to move the chains and extend the play. Even with that fourth quarter taken into account, and again, granted, it's two games at this point, Tua is only at 7.3 yards per depth of average target right now. He's got 739 total yards um, passing, again, through two games. 406 are air yards. Close to 50% of his yardage is yak, yards after the catch, which has more to do with scheming and the skill set of that wide receiver group than it does Tua in and of itself. And dude, out of those 333 yak yards, 222 of those yards came Sunday alone. There were lots of blown coverages by Baltimore. Again, good scheming by McDaniel, taking advantage of what he saw. But lots of blown coverages by Baltimore. And even with two rookie DBs in, in the backfield and Elam and Benford, I have a really hard time thinking that Poyer and Hyde are going to allow those types of plays to break free over the top. So when I look at to a fourth quarter aside, I still see a guy who, if you can get four-man pressure on him and clog his passing lanes... It slows his processing speed down just enough to let a guy like A.J. Epineza, Von Miller, Greg Rousseau get home and bring him down. And then we know that if we can get that kind of pressure on, on Tua, it's going to set him off for the rest of the game. So one thing that we do need to be a little, little wary of is the dude does look more mobile than he did last year. He does look like he's fully healed from that hip injury, and he's always done a great job keeping his eyes downfield for the most part. Um, throughout the course of his career, he hasn't always been able to press the ball downfield, but he's been, but he always does look downfield because he hasn't had a lot of mobility to bust the pocket. He's showing a little bit more pocket presence and pocket toughness. That is something that we should be concerned about. But if we can bring down Tua and, and just, and the secondary can do just enough to disrupt his first read, it 
I think we have the the potential to see a game, a couple of games like we saw last season where we blew out Miami. Well, and I think that the biggest thing is like the Bills have a process and a routine and kind of a, a game plan for shutting Tua down that involves disguising coverage, cluttering the passing lanes, and making it hard for him to move through his reads. And I think he definitely, I mean, we've observed it. He had an insane game. Um, and did Matt Flynn have that game with the Dolphins? That'd be just wild. It was with Green Bay. That okay. that was the game that yeah. got him that Dolphins contract. Oh, okay. I think it, That's funny. Wasn't it, yeah. wasn't it? Wasn't it him or Drew Brees? No, that was Dante Culpepper and Drew Brees yeah. that were up yeah. for that Dolphins contract. No, Matt Flynn okay. was a was definitely Green Bay <laughs> anyway, garbage time. I just knew. I just knew you played for the. That's you know it, it's like. Um, so if they can clutter the lanes, they have a, a routine for stopping him, and I think it will still work, especially since the Bills linebackers are excellent in terms of getting into the passing lanes. And if they have enough pressure to shut things down just for, you know, 2.7 seconds, he's going to be under extreme pressure, I think, with the Bills defensive line. And that's all they'll need to hold for for the defense to, to, you know, keep him from from making hay. Yeah, I agree. I also think there's got to be some consideration in making Miami um, run the ball. So we talked about Buffalo and their struggles with running the ball. And McDaniel is known for scheming up this like really great run scheme and his use of uh, Debo Samuel in San Francisco is a is a wide out that can run the ball and all this this gadgety type stuff. Uh, the Miami run game has yet to take off and we've noted the improvements in Buffalo in the Buffalo Bills run defense. Miami this season has zero TDs in the run game and only 141 yards total rushing. You know, and JJ, that contributes a little bit to their inability or at least their struggles to, we talked about how Buffalo can move the sticks on first, second, and third down. Miami is below the league average in moving the sticks on first and second down. Their conversion rate on first and second down is only 48%, where the league average is 50. Again, through two games, small sample size. But their third down conversion rate is only sitting at a league average 52% as well. What that tells me is that, again, massive fourth quarter aside, this is a Miami team who, playing a pretty stout New England defense, but then playing a really beat-up Baltimore defense, they really do struggle with consistent and maintaining consistent drives on offense. Lots of splash plays in that fourth quarter um, for Miami against Baltimore that'll be in the highlight reels. But when you dig down into the numbers, there are some issues with the run game, and there are some progression and consistency issues in the passing game, moving the change consistently and maintaining time of possession. I think if Buffalo can force Miami into running situations, render Tua ineffective. Um, with this improved run defense, I think there could be a, a, a key there to unlocking this game for Buffalo and really stifling this Miami scheme. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, again, we keep saying that that game aside, you can't set that game aside. Tua did what he needed to do. And the, you know, McDaniels scheme clearly is is working for him because it's what he should have had all along. He's not mm-hmm. being held back by his coaching right. as he was the whole time Flores was there. Flores was like, okay, I, I've been around Tom Brady. Just chuck that thing way down the field. You know, let's, let's, let's run the game. ball. Yeah. That's not his Yeah, game. and it, it's just not. It's not, you know, and the quick – 
the kind of quick, decisive changing of plays and routes before the snap, and that's never been to his game it's either. Not. He's he he's going to take some seasoning to, if he wants to grow into that. And so while he's seasoning, give him what he needs, which is quick, distributive passing, and let him lead his receivers across the middle of the field because that's what he did when he was at Alabama. And he's we now see what Tua can do in that. I've always been a kind of Tua basher, um, and I you know. For the good of the NFL, I hope he's decent. I am. I am. A, if he's 640 passing yards and six TDs, good. This is going to be a ridiculous 10 years or so in the AFC East. That's going to be so, so Marino and Kelly 2.0. Yeah, man. that's that's what I'm saying. So like, if it's that, holy crap! Um, I hope it's not that because I would just I'm I'm signing up right now for Bills domination for the next 20 <laughs> years. But I would like what the um, Patriots just yeah. had for the last 20 years. Yeah, I'm not it, lie. like some of that, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see I see opportunities here to kind of shut that down. I think that I agree with you that if they make them try to run. If they just give them light boxes, drop into coverage, just bait them right into it. Yeah, make two a pay. Um, then I I can see one on one matchups on the defensive line and especially at the second level with the linebackers. And even you know Taron Johnson's an excellent run defender of really stifling everything they have. You know um, if you can you know make the only choice based on the looks we're giving you to run the ball and then we stop you on that run. Like where where do you go from there? And, you know, I think that to the third, our third and final point is Josh Allen just needs to Josh Allen. So many times last season on the pod, you said they just need to offense. They just need to offense. <laughs> that's, right? That's like, what they need. That was my sophisticated analysis, right? Yeah. Like, please and, understand that 17 yeah. is your best player on the field. And when you take the ball out of his hands, you're hurting yourself. Yes. Well, and like, especially when we think about, you know, um, they might be down Micah Hyde, Dane Jackson, Dawson Knox it's is dinged t- up, Jordan Phillips, man. you know, um, you know, Gabe Davis is a limited participant, Jordan Poyer limited, Tim Settle limited, Mitch Morse limited, uh, Ed Oliver is all based on the injury report today from practice, um, Ed Oliver's limited, um, Cam Lewis and Matt Milano both were full practice, so they should be good to go. If, you know, those of Gabe Davis, Jordan Poyer, Tim Settle, Mitch Morse, and Ed Oliver, all starters if they all work their way into full participants, I think the Bills will be okay. But it's pretty worrying that starting safety Micah Hyde, their best deep midfield defender, and Dane Jackson, their best currently active corner, are both you know not practicing at this point in the week. So that's something to be mindful of this week. And we've said this we've said this a thousand times, and I think we said it after the Jacksonville game too. Um, Oh God, the Jacksonville game last season. Oh God. Oh God. Sorry. I just had just had residual trauma. <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, the Bills were dinged up heading into that game as well. And the reality is is that, you know, the Bills have epic roster depth. But in the NFL, where everyone is throwing out pro players, you know, five guys, five missing five starters and needing to dig into your depth, that can really equalize a lot of some of this roster imbalance that we're talking about where the Bills have the advantage. You lose five or six starters, and then all of, on either side of the ball, all of a sudden you go from the Buffalo Bills to the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? right. Things can get equalized very easily. So heading into this weekend, I agree with you. I'm going to be pouring over those practice-by-practice practice injury reports, seeing who the participants are, and it's going to be very interesting, especially on a short week. The Buffalo Bills have gone from 
almost two weeks of no football to now they've got a quick turnaround for a 1 p.m. game against a division rival, um, and they're really beat up. It's going to be really interesting to see what that injury report what that injury report um, says come Saturday because it, that could be very, very telling for us. Or come Friday, that could be really telling for the type of game that we're into. Um, you know, JJ, all of that aside, we've talked a lot about defense, and I think rightfully so because after the prolific fourth quarter show that Miami and Tua put on, um, defense is going to matter. But we've talked about Josh Allen, and the Buffalo offense is going to have something to say about how this game is going to turn out as well. And, you know, Miami, there is still a young and budding defense, right? They've got Javon Holland, great second-year safety. Uh, they've got Byron Jones, great cover corner. They've got a lot of pieces on defense. They've got a, a great pass rush that that seems to be kind of coming into it its own, and a lot of those guys are starting to coalesce. But they're still young, and they're still mistake-prone. And you no longer have a defensive guru in Brian Flores really coordinating and scheming that outfit anymore. So where Miami is at right now defensively feels like prime positioning, health-dependent, for Josh Allen and this Buffalo Bills offense to take real advantage of. They've got a, a history of being able to rush the passer, but in their first two games against Mac Jones and what was a really incompetent um, offensive line for for the Patriots, and then Lamar Jackson, who granted is one of the most elusive quarterbacks in the league, they've only counted two sacks and five QB pressures through the first two games. To give our fans a point of comparison, that was Von Miller's solo stat line after the right. after the the LA Rams game, right? So so they're not pressuring the QB in the same way that they have in the, had in the past under Flores. Their toxic differential is great, but their overall turnover differential is still only in the plus one column. And they are actually one of the worst teams in the league and getting teams off the field on third down. Right now, their defense only has a 37% success rate in getting teams off the field on third down. The Buffalo Bills will enter week three as the number one third down conversion offense. So it's going to be a battle of Buffalo strength versus Miami weakness heading into this game. And I really do think that we could be in shootout territory. I'm not going to lie. Depending on how the injuries stack yeah. up on the Buffalo Bills defense, we really could be in shootout territory if things come to fruition in this way. I will take Josh Allen versus Tua in a shootout 10 out of 10 times, Josh Allen, because, it, I mean, he just can do things that – Two is incapable of in terms of like the long term. But I mean, granted, Josh Allen's never had a six touchdown game, so I don't know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I, I do like the Bills' offense versus the the Dolphins' defense. The Dolphins has have a couple of really good pass rushers in Melvin Ingram and Emmanuel Agba. Um, Xavier Howard is a little bit dinged up. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if he's going to play. Um, he probably will play at this point. It's still pretty earlier in the practice week. Um, and then their um, right cornerback is Noah Igbenogamini. Um, and I don't know how well he'll do against any of the second, you know, second tier behind Stefan Diggs players in the Bills. Since Stefan Diggs has not shied away from having big games and days against Xavier Howard either. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not that worried. I think that the, the Dolphins defensive front is a little bit weak in the linebackers too. So, you know, seeing some passing opportunities to tight ends. Reggie Gilliam making another big game. Like, what the heck? He came out of nowhere. 
Um, and so there's some opportunities there in that second level. And I think it's really going to come down to the Buffalo Bills. Can they protect Josh Allen long enough and keep pressure off of him long enough to, you know, make some hay? That's all they're going to need to do because we know he has the ability to pick apart that secondary. That secondary is not um, kind of top, top tier. Yeah, they're, they are ball hawkish. They're opportunistic. Um, they're very athletic. I mean, again, yeah. Javon Holland is just that. that Javon dude, Holland's very good. He's yeah. he is freaking incredible. Um, he he's quickly ascending the the ranks of one of the best safeties in the league. Um, but you're right. All all of that aside, um, this is a, a secondary that's been had in the screen game through the first couple of games. Um, they really do struggle in run defense. Uh, particularly when it's the opposing QB out of the pocket scrambling. Lamar Jackson rushed for 119 yards against this team, um, granted in a loss, but also torched them for one of the most efficient passing games of his career as well. So Lamar and Allen's skill set and what they bring to bear in as far as ways they can beat you really does line up as far as strengths of this QB um, with the weaknesses the Miami Dolphins defense are bringing to the table. It'll be interesting to see how they adjust because... Miami likes to blitz, and Josh Allen eats the blitz alive. And like you said, yes. Stefan Diggs has had a lot of success against Zayvon Howard one-on-one. If Miami is going to bring pressure and bring the blitz, you got to believe Diggs is going to have some one-on-one opportunities on the outside for Allen to take advantage of. So, and listen, man, it's a 1 o'clock game, which I get, and don't get me wrong, I'm happy for a 1 o'clock game, but this could be the game of the week for a lot of different reasons around the NFL. Um, I am ready to give my final score for this game. Are you ready to make a bold prediction, my friend? Yes, I'm very ready. All right. Oh, hang on. Let me pull up the over-under on this game, because my guess is it has shifted dramatically at this point. Uh, I've got over-under 52. Oh, really? That's interesting. Bills with a six-point uh, yeah, six favorites. So Buffalo is six-point favorites. And they're over under. Let's see. I've got the yep. I've got the over under at fifty four right now. Oh, okay. So on, it's raised a little bit on Fanduel. Yeah. Okay. And then Buffalo Bills. Yep. Six and a half point favorites on Fanduel. Oh, as well. and that's raised a little from my numbers. Yeah. As well. Which is interesting with the way this injury report has come out. But you know, there's also like people in Vegas. They know what they're doing because they make money yeah. on this stuff all the time. I, I there's been a lot of talk that the advanced analytics on Tua again outside of that fourth quarter are still like prove it to me to a right so right. like the sports media reaction the twitter reaction they've bought into this game the sharps in vegas are kind of like not yet that's what this line tells me um so 54 listen man Jack- I, I, i'm gonna go first because i don't want to be sniped again yeah yeah you go first. like jordan phillips running back that you know when matt milano got the pick six <laughs> right that was did you see the hamstring industry he I looks did. like he got shot I like did. i'm really worried about that big man that, that's um, like that's like me yeah. running to keep my dog from running outside at the, yeah. at the front door i don't i don't want you to snipe my score prediction so i'm gonna say bills 38 dolphins 21 so the recent history I'm over. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, and and I'm I'm taking the over on this game too. I think we're both going to take the over. So recent history tells us that the Bills have a better than better than good chance at catching a 40 burger. All right, against yep. the Dolphins. Okay. Yeah. Um 
That being said, and if that is going to be the case, that means Miami's going to have to put a lot of points on the board as well. So I think taking the over is a for sure bet. Josh Allen has won how many games in a row? Seven games in a row? Seven. Yeah, he would have been won eight if, um, you know, uh, Charles Clay knew how to run backwards. <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. Um, there have been some some win streaks against opposing QBs that have been broken recently. Tom Brady recently finally was able to beat the New Orleans Saints, and that win streak uh, for New Orleans against Brady was stuck at seven. Um Mm, I don't know if that's karma or not. I want to take into this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. All right. So I'm definitely taking the over. I'm going to go Buffalo 42. Okay. Miami 38. The exact score Ooh. that Miami beat Baltimore in in week Oof. two. So you have the Bills and leaving this game tied with the 64 Bears for, um, you know, the uh, the double digit win streak. That, that ends that ends this weekend you're saying uh i do think that ends this weekend and i would right. like it to end this weekend so that we can start the freaking streak of winning a one score game <laughs> because yeah. we still we are still over over the last two yeah. seasons in those yeah. games yeah fair i like it um and do you have any other prop bet stuff um josh allen leading rusher for the buffalo bills doesn't see doesn't seem like a massive prop bet but that being okay. said, I I think Josh I think Josh racks up about 60, 60 rushing yards. I'll put the over under at fifty nine and a half for Josh Allen rushing yards. Okay, um, I've got one. I think that uh, Kyrie Kyrie Elam notches his first interception. Ooh, Kyrie Elam plus point five interceptions. Okay, look at you. I like that. That's oh man, that would be that would be so incredible, so incredible. Um, let's throw in one more here. Tyreek Hill, who has tortured our souls for the last two, three years, uh, over under ninety nine point five receiving yards in this game. Uh, I'm gonna say over because mm-hmm. I think there's gonna be a lot of catch up time. Yeah, so I'm saying over. Yeah, I'm gonna go over too. I mean, okay. he's been he has been targeted a ridiculous amount in this new offense. I mean, he's getting him and Waddle with the the rate that they're being targeted. It's almost like by pure volume and the law of average that they would that that Hill would get over in that particular case. Now that being said, the last time the Buffalo Bills saw Tyree Hill in the regular season against Kansas City. Um, and that, what was that? That was that week five win before we, uh, before yeah. we tanked against Tennessee, but in that yep. week five, win, they actually held Tyree kill to, I think it was, um, 57 yards receiving. So, okay. and he didn't get a target until the second half of that game. So hopefully Frazier and that crew can bring some more of that magic, man. I really hope so. I will say that, uh, in that game, Mahomes did not look as sharp as Tua looked last week. So mm-hmm. very true. Very, very true. We'll see. Um, that's that's it for this you know portion of the pod. Like, share, subscribe anywhere that you get your podcast. Buffalo Bread Pod uh, at Gmail, and you know until we 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 speak again. Go Bills, Dan. Go Bills, JJ.